Thank you again for joining us today. I hope you're enjoying this study on what's next on God's calendar. We're actually on part three of a five-part uh, lesson on this. And I have enjoyed studying this to present it to you because I really think it's important for us to understand that God has a plan. You know, sometimes we think that, that man is trying to uh, adapt a plan that, that God will find satisfactory. That's not the case. The Bible is clear that God has outlined his plan for the future. And as we understand it, and that's why I don't want to just do current events. Yeah, the current events are exciting, and I see them, how they correlate with Scripture. But the real truth is, the more we understand and study the Bible, the more we know the plan of God. And when we know the plan of God, it gives us incredible hope. It eliminates fear because we know that, that God really does have a plan and that God has it under control. And so what's next on God's calendar, part three, we want to talk about something called the Battle of Armageddon. You know, the Battle of Armageddon is, is one of five of our topics that we're looking at. And I have to admit that it gets so much publicity that sometimes it's, it's easy to jump right to it. But remember, on these five important events, we're going to look at every time what's the purpose of the event and then when does it take place? Because I believe that if we can understand when the rapture is, when the tribulation begins, when the Battle of Armageddon takes place, when the millennial kingdom will begin, and when the great white throne judgment is, we'll have a great idea of God's plan for the future and what a hope and what encouragement it will give you. Now remember, we've been using this chart all along. On the first one, we said, what's the purpose of the rapture? And here's what we found. The point and the purpose of the rapture was this, for Christ to take his bride, those are the true believers, home to heaven. And I believe that when we look at our chart, here's where we find the, the rapture occurring. It, we call it point number one. It takes place prior to the beginning of the tribulation and the judgments. And the whole point is, remember, Christ said that he's going to come and take the believers home to his father's house. And so I believe that it will come at the end of the church age. I think it's described in the Bible in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, John hears the sound of a trumpet, an invitation to come up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it, it gives the idea of the, the last trump, the, the trump that would issue the, the church to go home to heaven. Or even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that Christ himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the church, the Christians, are going to be with Jesus there. I believe that could take place at any time. And so that was the purpose of the rapture, for Christ to get his bride and to take him home to heaven. Then we looked at this idea What's the purpose of the tribulation? And what we found was that there were three things. Number one, God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. Now notice that the wrath begins for this tribulation period of time. And then God is going to fulfill his promise to the Jewish people. God made a promise, a number of promises, but he made one that was really a big one. He told Israel that they would have 77s. And then God will reveal, he'll expose, he'll defeat the false trinity. This all takes place in this area here called the tribulation. And remember, there were 21 judgments. When will it take place? Well, we found the answer to that was right after the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The tribulation cannot begin until the Antichrist makes that treaty with Israel. And we studied how that would take place. Remember, just in a, a point of review, the tribulation is the wrath of God. It's a horrible time. The Bible said, unless those days were shortened to only seven years, no flesh would be, would be left on the earth. And so when we went to Revelation chapter 6, 
we saw that the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, they were all afraid because of the wrath of God that was coming. And the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 16, it says this, from the wrath of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the, the passive one, the sacrificial one from heaven, now has wrath that comes out. And then verse 17, for the great day of his wrath, God's wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And so we saw that it describes it as the wrath of God, a horrible time. But we also learned in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, speaking to the church age and to those believers who were in the church age, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation. I will keep you out of, not through, I'll keep you out of, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so, again, that's the promise of God to the church. We saw that God promised to Israel 77s, and 69 of those were fulfilled on the very day that he rode into Jerusalem on the colt, the donkey that we call Palm Sunday. And then the crucifixion would take place. And then God opened up his plan of salvation and plan of deliverance to, to the whole world, to Jew and Gentile alike. But as the church age took place, remember, he still has promised to Israel 77, and so there's one more period of seven, and that period of seven will be the seven years of the tribulation in which the Antichrist will begin by making a treaty according to Daniel chapter 9, verse uh, 24 and 27. Now, the details of the rapture, we cover those in what's called Lesson 46, if you want to go back and review. And last week, we reviewed the tribulation, and we did that in Lesson that we call number 47. But as we look at these things today, we want to now go to the, the Battle of Armageddon and see what God has in mind for us there. We couldn't have a more exciting study than this idea of what's the purpose of the Battle of Armageddon and when does it take place. And I believe that it's possible for us to know what God has in mind in this plan. And so we want to look at scriptures to make sure that the scriptures fit the idea, the plan that we have outlined on the little chart before us today. And so here's what I would say. The purpose of the Battle of Armageddon is threefold. Number one, when he comes in the revealing of Christ at the beginning of the Battle of Armageddon, the nations that come against Israel, God will, will defeat them in a, in a marvelous way. Unbelievable what the scripture says about how he will defeat them. Next, he will also defeat the Antichrist. You see, the Antichrist makes a treaty to begin the tribulation. Midway through the tribulation, he breaks the treaty. He makes people to, to sacrifice to him. Eventually, as they worship him, he wants them to, to take a mark of a beast and, and to do allegiance to him. Otherwise, they can't buy, sell, or trade. And then finally, the purpose will be this, to reveal to the world where true believers went after the rapture of the church. And that's discussed in Revelation chapter 19. So here we are on our chart, the rapture, the tribulation, and now the battle of Armageddon. It takes place at the very end when the return of Christ in glory comes back to the earth, all the way to the earth, and that's when that battle of Armageddon will begin. Now, as we look at these things, I think it's important for us to look scripturally at what the Bible says. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And this is a, a marvelous scripture, and the reason I say that is because you see, we've been studying Matthew 24 on a number of our lessons. It's such an important one. But I want to read to you verse 29. 
immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give its light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so we find in Matthew 24, at the end of the tribulation, the promise that God will bring about the revealing, the revelation of Jesus Christ to come back as the king, to set up his kingdom. Now, we know, based on what the Bible says, and I'll let you judge as we do our lesson today, we know of something in Israel called the, the Valley of Megiddo. It's really the Jezreel Valley. This is a, a wonderful picture. It's really taken from a hillside. And as you look down to the Jezreel Valley, the place where Megiddo will be fought, you'll see that the landing strip, the main military landing strip in Israel is right here. I used to be amazed when I went to Megiddo because this is really a, right close to a museum for the, the Jezreel Valley and for Megiddo itself. Megiddo was an important place. It was a crossroads for all the world. When you went south down into Africa, it was, that was the place you would have to go through, this, this narrow valley right here, pictured as Je the Jezreel Valley. When you went to, to Europe into China, that's where you would have to pass through. As you were on that mountaintop, you could look across the valley, you could see Mount Tabor, you could see Nazareth, you could see Mount Moriah, uh, you could see Mount Gilbo. All these things are in clear view. But for sure, you can see this incredible valley described in the Bible on several occasions. And it's interesting because that very place where the Bible says the final battle will be fought is exactly where Israel has its military air force landing strip today. Is that amazing? It is. But you see, God has a perfect plan. And so as we look at five passages of Scripture, we want to make sure that they're a perfect fit. Because then we'll know that we're looking at the Bible and we're understanding God's plan for what he has in mind. So let's begin this pattern of fitting the scriptures by starting with something that we've done before. We've already said that Matthew 24 is really a tribulation text. Not a rapture text, but a tribulation text. And we know that the corresponding place to that would be Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. Because the rapture takes place in chapter 4 verse 1. Then there's a scene in heaven through the rest of Revelation 4 and 5 as we studied. But finally, when you get to chapter 6, we've already seen in one of our studies that the first six or seven verses in Revelation 6 and the first four seals are exactly what it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. And Matthew 24, verse 8 says this, These are the beginning of sorrows. What are they? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines pestilence, earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of sorrows. And so what we find, Revelation chapter 6, the Antichrist appears when the first seal is opened. And then those judgments come. And in Matthew 24, it says that's the beginning of sorrows. Then we go to Matthew 24, verse 15, and he talks about in the midpoint of the tribulation, he says, you'll see an abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Well, what did Daniel talk about? Daniel, the prophet, talked about how that in, in Daniel chapter 9 that this Antichrist would make a treaty with Israel. It's exactly as the Bible outlines. And we go to the midpoint of, of Revelation, Revelation 11, 12, 13. Remember we saw how that first they will kill the two witnesses. Revelation chapter 12 would be a war in heaven and Satan would be kicked out of heaven. 
Revelation chapter 13. Now this Satan gives power to the beast and to the, and to the false prophet. You see, it's exactly as outlined in Matthew 24. And then, when we come to the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, we see it's the end of the tribulation. It's the battle of Armageddon. It's before we begin the kingdom age. And Matthew 24 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. You see how beautiful the pattern is? And so, I say that when you look at Matthew chapter 24, for sure, since it's immediately after the tribulation, it's a perfect fit with what we've been looking at on our chart. Now. There's many passages in the Bible concerning the Battle of Armageddon, but we're going to take five, and this is one. Because if we know the time when the Battle of Armageddon is, and we know the time when Christ comes back to reveal himself to the world and to defeat the Antichrist and defeat those nations, we know that seven years prior is when the tribulation begins. And we know that before the tribulation can ever begin, the church has to be raptured to go home to be with Jesus. And so the first perfect fit is Matthew 24. What a pivotal text. But here's another one that I think you're really going to enjoy. Joel chapter 2. I hope you have your Bible and, and will turn with me to these passages because Joel is an interesting book. It's a book on the end time. It talks about the day of the Lord. Matter of fact, during this past week, I went back and I just reread it several times because to me it was so interesting to see its correlation. And so as we look at Joel, I want to actually begin at Joel chapter 2 verse 11. It says this, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong, who executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, who can abide? And so we see that God is warning of judgment. Then when you come to, uh, to Joel chapter 2, verse 15, he talks about, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn feast. What a beautiful picture of the rapture. A little further, verse 17, he talks about the priests, the ministers. They weep before the porch and the altar. They say, spare thy people, O Lord. In other words, it's during the time of Jacob's trouble. It's during the time of the tribulation. And then, notice this. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 20, But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and it will come into a land barren and desolate. Well, what a, what a great indicator. A little later, we're going to study the fact that in Ezekiel, one of those great passages that needs to be a perfect fit for us to have the plan of God correct, the invasion of Russia, what a, what a neat way for God to say the northern army. It's referred to several times that way. I believe you can see the, the chronology taking place. Then, Joel chapter 3. Now, that's usually where we start. But I want to read to you some verses. And first of all, in, in verse 2, it says, For I will gather all nations, notice that, not just a few, but all nations, and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Remember, there's two valleys to pay attention to. The Jezreel Valley by Megiddo, the Megiddo Valley, the, the Jezreel Valley up north, and then there's the valley of Jehoshaphat that I believe starts right east of the city of Jerusalem between the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem. And these two valleys, one heading toward the, the east and one heading up toward the north, they meet together, and I think this is the great valley that God is talking about where this great judgment will take place. Now here's what he says. I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will judge them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and part of my land. In other words, when the, the nations scattered Israel, and when they begin to divide the land of Israel, God says, no. He says, that's really my land. You see, 
All the time people are saying, well, the Jews ought to give up more land. It, maybe they'll give up some land for peace. Do you understand how small the nation of Israel is? It was given away by Britain. It's been given away by the United Nations. It's been given away by, by some of their leaders. It's, it's such a small piece of land. And God says, you know what? There came a time when I got tired of people dividing my land. The land really is God's, and he's letting Israel live there. And so he mentions that all nations will come to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Keep that in mind. And then when you go to verses 12 through 17, we're going to notice a few things in addition to that. Look at this. Let the nations be awakened. Come to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations round about. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. The Bible describes the Battle of Armageddon as there will be so much blood in that valley, the Jezreel Valley, that it will be to the, the bridle of horses. I had someone tell me one time that really the, the bridle of a horse is a way to talk about how the hoof joins the leg. That, that wouldn't frighten anybody. But let me tell you that if you saw blood to the bridle of a horse, you'd say that's a bloody battle. That's the battle that, that God has described called the Battle of Armageddon. No wonder the world talks about it so much. No wonder Hollywood makes movies about the Battle of Armageddon because the Bible talks about it in that way. And he says as the armies come in, that the judgment of God, the wrath of God will come and he will squish the people, the horses and the men in that valley during this war so that there will be blood up to the bridle of a horse. I don't know about you, but that's not my kind of, of enjoyment. That's not my kind of place that I want to be. He says this, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get down, the press is full. The vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withhold their shining. We just read that in Matthew 24. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. He'll utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no stranger pass through it anymore. Verse 20 says that once that occurs, that it says that Judah shall dwell there forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. Well, you know what? You talk about a perfect fit we see that God's Word fits together in a, in a marvelous way. Now, I want to go to, to another perfect fit. And this one is in the book of, of Zechariah. Again, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I, I'd love for you to turn to these passages because you see the Bible is so beautiful and so clear as we outline God's plan. I want to begin in Zechariah chapter 12. And this says, Behold, I will make all the people come. Do, do you notice this? Up until now, we've had a number of people who opposed Israel, but, but now all the nations are coming. So he says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the peoples around about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against it. In other words, a burdensome stone, a stone that would cause you an injury if you tried to lift it. And God says that as they try to, to take their stone, they're going to be destroyed. And when the nations all come against it, God's going to say, I've had enough. And God says, then I bring judgment upon those nations. Chapter 13 of Zechariah, verses 8 and 9. 
came to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts of it should be cut off and die, but a third should be left. Wow. The tribulation, such a judgment. We saw already the death count. Remember, there's a fourth of the world that died in one of the plagues. A third of the world dies in another plague. We're talking of several billion people in each one of these things. And the Bible says this, that even with Israel, two-thirds will be cut off. Only one-third will be left. But he says, I'll refine them. Listen to what he says. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined. The testing. You see, during that, the fire, the, the silver was refined and the dross was removed and came to the top. And finally, it it would reflect even the, the silversmith's face as he looked into the, to the pot of, of pure silver. He says, that's what I'm going to have to do to get Israel to understand that, that I'm the Lord. I'm God. My, my son, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then we come to Zechariah chapter 14. Now listen and see if you can't picture the Lord coming back from heaven to do this battle of Armageddon and to, to redeem Israel and to set up his kingdom. Chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be cleaving its midst toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a very great valley that's formed. Wow. What a picture of this time that we call Armageddon. And so here's what I say as we continue to look at it. We have to say this. It's a perfect fit. Now, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And when we do, again, I find it interesting because you see, we've referred to these passages a number of times. First of all, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we saw that there would be an invading war. And this war of invasion took place after chapter 36. That was when Israel was brought back into the land. After chapter 37, when the dry bones would become a great army. And now, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it says that there's going to be a war. I don't think that this is Armageddon itself. I think it's the lead up to Armageddon. And I'll show you why in a minute. Because this is Rosh, or we call it Russia. Persia, or we call it Iran. Kush, we call it Ethiopia. Put, we call it Libya. Gomer, we call Germany. Tagarma, we call Turkey. They're, they're named. And by the way, if you look at this list of nations, all of them are opposed to Israel right now. Matter of fact, I have headlines all within the last several years. Every one of these countries going siding against Israel. That's why I think we're in the last days. This is something that takes place well into the tribulation. Ezekiel chapter 38, 9 through 11, here's what it says. In the latter years, they're going to sign a treaty. They're going to think they're safe. They're going to have unwalled villages. And when they do, then the Antichrist will trick them, and these nations will be allowed to come in to the unwalled villages, to, to cities that think that they're safe, and they'll find that there's going to be destruction. God says no. Guess what? Chapter 39 Verses 1 through 2, verse 9, verse 11, he says, No, when this army out of the north comes, he calls it Rosh, you recognize that, or Russia, capitals of Meshach and Tubal, clearly the, the political capital, the industrial capital of Russia. He says, when they come against them, he says, I will judge them, I will turn them back, and five, six of them will die in that valley, and only one sixth 
left alive. Wow. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, it'll be a seven-year period when, when that will be so much death there that they can't even use the valley. Again, here's what I say. When we examine Scripture, it's a perfect fit to what God says. You see, the more we study the Bible, the more we see that God has a wonderful plan. And then I want us to go to, to Revelation. And what I'm going to choose to do in our lesson today is not so much the details of Revelation, but I want you to see that, that God has a, a marvelous plan. And if you begin to march through Revelation chapter by chapter, looking at the main outline of it, you're going to find how this fits in with what we've been saying. So let's go back to, to Revelation. Again, if you have your Bible, I, I hope you'll turn to it because that way you can check out what I'm saying. I think there's nothing more important than to, to take your Bible and to check out what I'm saying. That's why I love to put the verses up on the screen because that way later you can go back and you can study to make sure that's really what the Bible says. And so what I find very interesting is this. In chapter 13 of Revelation, we find the Antichrist suddenly now feels like he has enough power that he can say, I'm going to stop all the worship on the Temple Mount. I'm going to, I'm going to have the sacrifices stopped, and now you worship me. And you're going to have to take a mark to show that you give allegiance to me. And if you don't have the mark, well, you're not going to be able to buy, sell, or trade. We know, based on Revelation chapter 11, 12, and 13, that's the midpoint of the tribulation. And so the Antichrist comes, the false prophet comes, and they make people have this mark to function in society. Then... In Revelation chapter 14, you can check it out. It says that anyone who does this, there's an incredible penalty. It says, they shall drink of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. They will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. Why? Because they receive, verse 9, they received the mark of his uh, image in their forehead or in their hand. That's the penalty that, that God says will be there. That's chapters 13 and 14. But now, let's keep going. Because when you come to Revelation chapter 15, it's interesting to me that he says, and I saw another sign in heaven. So that's a heavenly scene. But when you go back again to chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, he talks about this final battle called Armageddon, and he calls it the wine press of the wrath of God. Remember what we just read in Joel? It says that it will be like a wine press. In other words, it will be so bloody. It's like the, the wrath of God or the foot of God stepping down and, and crushing those that were disobedient to him that have followed this Antichrist. Then we go to the scene in heaven. And now they begin preparation for the final seven plagues. These are bowls that are poured out. And when they do, chapter 15, verse 3 says this. They sang the song of Moses. Listen, the song of Moses is Jewish. That, that proves that the church is raptured. And, and what God is doing, he's refining the Jewish people, and they sing this song. Then you come to chapter 16. Wow, here's what's incredible. Chapter 16, verses six, uh, 13 through 6, it says, The whole world, all the nations, the whole world is gathered together into a place, he, he said, in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. My friend, I want to show you how, how the plan of God is so consistent. It makes sense in Matthew. It makes sense in Zechariah. It makes sense in Joel. It makes sense in Revelation. And then we find the doom of the harlot. Remember, that's the, that's the false church of the false trinity. And then the doom of the ten kings, the, the, the governmental part. And then seven, chapter 17, verse 14, the lamb defeats the beast. 
Now, when does that occur? Well, the Bible says that in one day, all the worldwide economic systems are destroyed. And then the Bible goes on to say in Revelation chapter 19, 11, he says this, it's the day that occurs on the day that Christ comes back. Now, listen to what it says. It says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Who's faithful and true? That has to be Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And then it says, and he came to judge and make war. His eyes were like the flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. That gives it away. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And so we see him coming out of heaven. You see, when he came the first time, he came as a baby. He'll come back the second time as a king and as a warrior. The first time he came back and, and uh, he didn't judge people. No, he offered salvation to them. He came back, his eyes were kind. He had compassion on people. Now his eyes will be like the flame of fire. There, there will be judgment as he comes. And so I think this is a, a tremendous picture. Then it talks about the... Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he will smite the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He treads on the winepress of fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vestures, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then the Bible says that they saw, as this takes place, he saw him judge in Armageddon. Wow. I want you to see that as you look at the flow of this, it fits perfectly together. And maybe the best way to look at it is the contrast of the rapture and the revelation. Now, on our chart, we saw where the rapture took place. Then the tribulation. At the end of the rapture, or at the end of the tribulation, that's when we see Christ coming back to the earth to do judgment at the Battle of Armageddon. And so the rapture, it takes place in the clouds, it's in the air, and the revelation, he goes back, puts his feet on the earth. Or... In the rapture, he comes to remove believers. They disappear. But in the revelation, the believers come back, the saints come back with him to judge. Every eye will see him as he judges sin. This could take place at any time. It's intimate. This one is preceded by signs, as we find in the book of Revelation, the, the judgments. This opens a way for the man of sin to, to come. After the church is taken, the Antichrist is revealed. But this time... Jesus comes and the revelation to doom the Antichrist, to judge him and to defeat him. This one, he says, I give the rapture for comfort, for hope. This one, he comes for judgment. Wow, you see, the, the difference is incredible. This one brings the church age to an end, but this one, the revelation, it brings the kingdom of God to the beginning point. This one, we connect with the church. This is always connected with Israel and the nations. And so as you see how creation is untouched and creation is renewed, the, the contrast is, is unbelievable. Matter of fact, as you look at that contrast, there's no way to, to, to confuse the two. The rapture is for the church to go to heaven with Jesus. He meets us in the air. This one, Christ comes back from heaven with the church all the way to the earth, and it begins the battle of Armageddon and the judgment of the nations. You know what I say? I look at this. I look at Revelation chapter 20, I see that Satan's bound, the false prophet, the beast are thrown to the lake of fire, and then he begins his kingdom of a thousand years. This is a perfect fit with a chart that we've been studying all along. I hope that as you look at it, you say, wow, what a hope we have in Christ. You see, I want you to have confidence in the plan of God. We don't get to vote on the plan of God. 
We're not here to approve the plan of God. We're not even here to, to come up with a, a new idea. No, God's plan is perfect. You could not have a better plan than the plan of God. I don't know why he hasn't come back yet. I think he'll come back very soon. But I know this, that the plan of God is perfect. And so as we wait for him to come, I hope that we'll take this opportunity to tell people their need of a savior. Now, during this past week, several really good questions came in, and I want to take just a moment to answer a couple of those. And here's a great one. Does Israel have to have the ashes of the red heifer before the rapture can take place? Well, in our lesson number 22, you'll find a whole story about the red heifer, Numbers 19. It's an incredible story. It's a great one. And I have to admit to you that right now there's supreme interest in finding a red heifer, a perfect red cow, so they can generate the ashes of a red heifer to be used in purification of the priesthood. And then they can begin animal sacrifices. But you know what? We don't have to find the ashes. They don't have to find the ashes before the Lord comes back. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will stop the sacrifice. Now, I really believe that the Jewish people, especially those that they would like for um, the sacrifices to begin again, and that's called the Temple Institute and other factions of it around as well. But as they look for these ashes, as they seek to, to breed a perfect red heifer, you see, we could be raptured today, and they could find those ashes tomorrow or a year from now, and all they need to do is to begin the sacrificing prior to the midpoint of the tribulation. Yeah, I do believe that that's a, a key element for them to begin worship again. But you see, it only has to take place between now and the midpoint of the tribulation. So the answer is no. They don't have to find the ashes before we're raptured. We could be raptured at any time. But they could find those ashes. They could begin sacrificing. That's okay. These are two events that are independent of one another. But it's a great question. And we know the great interest there is right now in Israel to find those ashes and to begin the sacrifices again. But we're looking for Jesus, not for ashes. Here's another question. Hmm. Will the world go to a cashless society before the rapture? Well, let me tell you this. I think the world is heading toward a cashless society. We're watching it take place every day. The, we've seen the world tied together in a variety of ways, through the internet, through other things. It seems like the world has gotten smaller and smaller. And it's almost to a situation where people would desire one currency. We've tried the Bitcoin, we've tried other forms. There's the dollar, there's the euro, all these things. It's such a banking problem. But here's what I know. I think that one of the things that I see is that the whole world collapses in Revelation 18 and 19. I believe at that time it is a cashless society. Why do they want a cashless society? Here's why. I think they think they'll be able to control better all of the banking and all the transactions. And if they don't like what you're doing, they're going to cut your banking off. But when you have a cash society, then you can deal independently of some of these big operators and some of the banks. And so, yeah, I think that we're headed toward a cashless society. But you want to know something? Christ could come tonight, and even though we're on our way to a cashless society, it doesn't have to take place, I don't think, until Revelation chapter 18. So we're not waiting on a cashless society. We're not looking for ashes of red heifer. We're looking for Jesus to come. And so again, that brings me to my question to you. Are you ready? You see, we're looking at a world that that really in the last few months, we've seen a lot of things that, that some of us thought we'd never live to see. But here's what we can say. Israel's in the right place. The nations are in the right place. The chaos in the world is exactly what the Bible said. And so as we look at all that's taking place, 
there might be some that say, wow, what hope do we have? Well, the Bible says there's plenty of hope. And here's where it begins. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should never perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. You know, in Scripture, the, the world really can mean one of three things. It can mean the world society, the world system. God doesn't love that. Matter of fact, in 1 John, we're warned not to love it. It could also, the word world could mean creation. God made a wonderful creation. It was marred by sin. But the other way it's used is God so loved the world, it's the people of the world. I think that's what it means here. For God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that son was Jesus. How can you be ready? You look at the world around, and if you don't have the plan of God, you don't have hope. But if you have the plan of God, if you know what God has in mind, you have all the hope that anyone could ever want. How can you be ready? Number one, admit before God that you're a sinner. That by your nature, by your actions, you have violated the, the, the holy standard of God. Turn from that sin. Repent of that sin. And say, God, I, I admit I'm a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, God is a holy God and he has to judge that sin. And so if you come to Christ, he'll judge your sin on Christ at the cross. So number one, admit you're a sinner. Number two, admit that Jesus Christ had no sin, virgin born, no sin of his own. And so when he came, he took the sin of the whole world. On Jesus, on the cross, the sin of every single person that's ever been born was put. And God judged my sin, your sin, the sin of the world, on Jesus on the cross. You admit that Jesus shed his blood was a sacrifice for you. And third, take him as your personal savior. Say, dear Jesus, I, I just realized that, that I am short of God's standard. I just realized that, that you're the only perfect one and you took the wrath of God for me. You, you died for my sins, you shed your blood, you were buried, you rose again so that I could have salvation and accept Jesus as your personal savior today. Then you're ready, then you have a hope. And then let me tell you, as you study the Bible and you see the plan of God, you rejoice with me that God has a plan and it fits perfectly with how we can read and interpret scripture even today. I invite you to come to Jesus even today. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.